In the world, Jesus said, you're going to have tribulations. Peter said, don't consider it strange concerning the fiery trials which are to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. The Bible says that our citizenship is not in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven from whence we look for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for His coming, that He might change our vile bodies and fashion them like unto His own glorious image. It's interesting to me that when Jesus prayed for His disciples, He said, Lord, I don't pray that You'll take them out of the world. You'll just keep them from the world. We're living in this world and God has a purpose for us to live in this world. He wants us to be the light. He wants us to be salt. He wants us to have an impact and effect upon the world in which we live. And so He leaves us here that we might be a preserving influence. But it's not easy to live in the world when you feel so alienated from it. So many times when I watch the news and I see the things that are going on, I say, I don't belong here. And so many times my heart yearns for the Lord to come. I have a great concern for my grandchildren I look at their beautiful little faces around the table and I wonder what's the future hold for them? What kind of a world will it be by the time they grow up? I know it's horrible now and it seems to be getting worse. What will it be by the time they grow up? <laughs> Don't worry much about myself. I'm going to check out pretty soon anyhow. But <laughs> my concerns for them, the future... And I pray for them. Lord, keep them from the world. Because there are so many influences in the world today that are designed just to destroy a person's values, their morals, to drag you down. And as we encounter the world and the things that are in the world, many times we find ourselves just sort of hanging on for dear life. We find that Satan is in control of this world in which we live. And it's not easy to always combat the forces that come against us, these powers of darkness. The psalmist was going through an interesting experience in his life. He evidently had had a heart attack. And he was sort of laid up as the result of it. And as Satan so often does when you are down physically, he uses it to attack you emotionally and to attack you spiritually. And thus in his weakened condition, Satan began to attack him emotionally. 
and then began to attack him spiritually. And the psalmist confessed that I almost had it. My foot had well nigh slipped. I was almost gone. But there was something that he begins that psalm with which is so important. And that he that is, he began the psalm with an affirmation of what he knew. Truly, God is good. Now you need that foundation. You need to know that. You need to know that for sure. Because you see, a lot of times the circumstances that we are facing do not dictate or tell us that. Because we can't always understand why we are going through a particular difficulty, trial, heartache, heartbreak, sorrow, pain. It's hard for us to reconcile a God of love with the pain that we sometimes suffer. The things that sometimes we are put through. It's interesting to me when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan's desired you. He wants to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. But what did he pray? Now, if I were praying for Peter, I'd say, Lord, don't let him go through the sifter. Deliver him from the trial, Lord. Don't let Peter go through this hard experience. Spare him, Lord. But Jesus said, I've prayed that your faith won't fail. You see, I could hinder the growth in Peter's life by my prayers. But the Lord knows that we grow through the trials. We grow in the difficult times. That's where our real spiritual growth comes. And so God allows us to go through trials. And it's important that we have a a solid foundation There are certain things that I know that I hang on to. And when everything else seems to be crumbling around me, I stand on this. I know that God is good. I know that God loves me. I know that I am His child. I know that all things are working together for good. I know that. Yet there are many times when I'm wondering what good can possibly come out of this mess, out of this experience. And so God wants me to live by faith. He wants me to come to a trust in Him that no matter what the circumstances are, I know God's good. I know God loves me. I know God has allowed this to happen to me. And He will bring forth a good purpose out of this. I know that. And it's important that you know those things. Because Satan is going to challenge that. He's going to come to you and he's going to say, If God is good, then why did this happen to you? If God is good, why did he allow this to take place? 
Why has He allowed you to experience this pain and this hurt if God is good? And so it's important that you know that because you're going to face a lot of things in life that you don't know. I don't know why God's allowed it. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why I'm going through the suffering. I don't know. But I know God's good. And I know God loves me. And I know He's working out a purpose. Now, never give up what you know for what you don't know. A lot of people make that mistake. When they start facing things that they don't know, they're sometimes prone to give up on what they do know. And they begin to challenge God's love and God's goodness. Never give up what you don't know or what you do know for what you don't know. Now, our problem is that we only see a part of the picture. And it's awfully hard to understand a puzzle when you only have two pieces. And no matter how much you study them, analyze them, you just can't get the picture from two pieces of the puzzle. Unless they are the last two pieces. And then you understand them completely. You've been looking for them for two days. And you see how they now complete the picture. You see how it fits in. And you see, we live our life in segments, one piece at a time. And so many times as we're trying to analyze this particular piece of the puzzle of our life, we just can't seem to, to understand. We just, we're sure. Have you ever worked a puzzle and you're sure that the piece was put in there by some diabolical worker in the puzzle factory? That it really goes to another puzzle, doesn't belong to the puzzle you're trying to work, you know? Or on the other hand, they've missed the piece. Someone took it out. Always accusing my son of hiding a piece in his pocket. He wants to put the last piece in, you know. And so oftentimes we're trying to figure out the full picture and we don't have enough of the puzzle put together yet. But it's amazing when it starts to come together and you see the whole picture, you say, oh, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that just so glorious? Because now you can see the whole picture. You know, that's one really distinct advantage of getting old. You begin to see more of the picture. It's getting complete. There are only a few pieces left and, you know, the last few pieces seem to go in real fast. And you begin to get the whole picture and you look back and you say, oh, surely God is good. Because now I can see the whole picture. It, it's like judging a book before you get to the last chapter. Looks like it's all over. It's disaster. There's no way they can get out of this. And you know, and you, you, you think, well, this is the end. They can't go, you know. But 
when you get to the last chapter, it all begins to unravel. And you say, wow, isn't that great? And you know, the, the beautiful thing is that we are going through a, a lot of places that we don't understand. Uh, this particular chapter seems to be a heavy chapter and it looks like the, the roof is caving in and there's no way out. The building's on fire. The, <laughs> there's a giant earthquake and the roof is caving in and I'm in the middle of the building, you know, and, and, things, and there's no way out. And you think, oh my, this is the end. Well, it's always good to know the last chapter and the end of the story. You know, that was one good thing about listening to the radio programs when I was a kid. My heroes always came out. I mean, it looked like the Lone Ranger was going to get it this time. But, you know, he always came through. He always made it. And I can tell you what the last line of the story of your life is when you follow Jesus Christ. The last line of the story is, and they lived happily ever after. (laughs) Truly God is good. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps have well nigh slept. Why? Because in my weakness... In my weakened condition, in my suffering, I began to look around at the wicked. And as I looked at the wicked, it looked like they had everything falling their way. It looked like Lady Luck was smiling on them. That they didn't seem to have troubles like I have. They didn't seem to be going through the same kind of hardships that I'm experiencing. They seem to be so prosperous. Everything seemed to be going so well. They don't seem to be in trouble like I am. And neither are they plagued like I am. And they're so filled with pride. It just encircles them like a chain. And they're filled with violence. Their eyes bulge out with fatness. And they have more than their heart could wish. And yet, they're so corrupt. They speak wickedly. They speak very proudly. They speak against God. And yet, it seems like everything goes their way. They say contemptuously, how doth God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? They they speak blasphemously about God. And yet, these are the ungodly that seem to prosper in the world. They're the ones that seem to get the promotions. They're the ones that get ahead. They're the ones that win the lottery. It isn't fair. Here I am trying to do the right thing, live the right kind of a life, and I seem to have so many problems and so many struggles. It isn't fair. And, and this is what was happening to the psalmist. Here he is, and, and, and Satan is just really working his mind over. 
until he's about gone. He's about had it. He's going down for the third time. It's almost over. And now Satan begins the spiritual attack. Satan has him where he wants him. You know, you have to be careful with Satan because he so often starts out by telling, sort of pointing out facts and certain truths. And he gets you going, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's got your head going this way. And then he starts pointing, pushing in his lies. But your head's still going, yeah, yeah. And you start swallowing the lies. There's exaggerations. Like he says, the the wicked don't have any trouble. That's not true. Go down to the jail. (laughs) Wicked have a lot of trouble. They're not plagued like other. They're not sick, you know, and they don't get him. Yeah, go to the rest homes. Everybody has problems. Everybody has troubles. But Satan would like you to believe that only the Christians really have trials and troubles. Everybody's going through trials and troubles. The thing is, we have the Lord to be with us in the trial and in the trouble. But now comes the spiritual attack. He said, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands in innocency. Or basically, it doesn't pay to serve God. That's exactly where Satan was wanting to bring him to that conclusion. It doesn't pay to serve God. It doesn't pay to do the right thing. It doesn't pay to be honest. And and he tries to bring us to that kind of a conclusion. I can remember when I was in junior high school, living in Ventura. Came to school one day and my friends were waiting at the gate that leads into our closed campus. And they said, Chuck, we're not going to go to school today. We're going to hitchhike and go to Santa Barbara. Come on and go with us. I said, you mean ditch school? Yeah. I'd never ditched school a day in my life. Never thought about ditching school. But the pressure of the friends, peer pressure. So we rode our bikes out to the Ventura River Bridge and parked them underneath and stood up there on the bridge with our thumbs out trying to get a ride to Santa Barbara. Now, what we were going to do in Santa Barbara, I don't know. (laughs) Just an adventure, you know. I'm not a very patient person. I've been praying about that problem in my life for quite a while. And, and I don't know, the Lord doesn't seem yet to answer me. I think that five-second glue is the greatest thing that was ever invented. (laughs) 
And I, and I don't know why the Lord doesn't answer my... I keep asking for patience. And I say, Lord, you know how desperately I need patience and I want it right now. <laughs> but I was... I suppose it seemed like an hour, but probably a half hour I was out there with my thumb out and some of the other guys had gotten rides and they were on their way to Santa Barbara. And I was delivering a paper route at the time and... I knew that I had to get back to deliver the paper route. And I thought, boy, if it takes this long to get to Santa Barbara, if, if it takes me a long time to get home, I, I'll be late for my paper route and I'll be in big trouble. So I told the guys, hey, you guys go. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back. And, of course, I couldn't go back to school, so I went back to the newspaper office and spent the most miserable day of my whole life sitting there in the newspaper office waiting for the presses to run so I could get my papers and run my... It was just a miserable... Ditching school wasn't exciting. It wasn't fun. It was a day of misery for me. But the next day when I went to the attendance office and filled out the little thing, you know, the reason for absence, I put ditched. I mean, I was a Christian. I couldn't lie. <laughs> I knew it was 10 demerits to ditch, but figured, well, I've got extra merits, and so 10 won't hurt. <laughs> and I thought, that's all it'll be. Just, you know, I put ditch, they give me the 10 demerits, and I go back to school. But instead, they took me into the vice principal's office. He called up my parents. Man, all of the trouble I got in just because I put the truth ditched. <laughs> now my buddies, they all put sick, sore throat, all that kind of stuff. And they all went right back to class. No demerits, just right back to class. And here I am, told the truth. And I'm in a parcel of trouble. Now, what does Satan say? Mm-hmm, doesn't pay to tell the truth, does it? You know. Look at that. They lied. They get out of it. And you tell the truth. And look at all the trouble you've got. On probation and everything else. Uh-huh. They'll teach you to tell the truth, won't it? You know. And quite often it seems that way. It doesn't pay try and do the right thing. It doesn't pay to be honest. And the psalmist was coming to this conclusion. He said, for all day long I've been plagued. It seems like I'm chastened every morning. And if I say I will speak thus, he said, behold, I would offend against the children or the generation of thy children. And when I sought to know this, it was too painful for me. You know, there are some things in life we just can't think about very much because it's just so painful. I don't understand it. And it's just painful to try to even think about it. So here he is, attacked by Satan emotionally, probably the physical attack. Could be that Satan attacked him physically but surely emotionally and now spiritually, and he's down and almost out. When I sought to know this, it was too painful for me until he said, 
I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I got a whole new perspective. You see, what had happened is what does happen so often. And that is that Satan narrows our perspective. And we think of life only in terms of the now, the present, the moment. And we forget eternity. We lose sight of eternity. And when we lose sight of eternity, we can really lose our moorings. We can get all confused and all mixed up because I've lost sight of the eternal. So why do we gather? Why do we have a place? Why do we build a place where we can gather so that we can come into the sanctuary of God and there we can get the eternal perspective once again? When we've been out there and we've been jostled by the world and we've been pushed and subbed and, and we, we feel all of the pressure, sometimes in a, in a figurative sense or spiritual sense kind of, we, we almost crawl in beaten and bloody and bruised and just barely make it in the door. The encounter with the world has been rough today. I've gone through a miserable time at the office and oh, I've gotten into so much hot water just because I shared Christ with someone and now all of this, you know, and we just barely make it in. But oh, how glorious it is when we get into the sanctuary of God and, and we begin to see now the broad eternal perspective. You see, our problem is that God, when He is dealing with us, always has eternity in view. I have now in view. God has eternity in view. God is willing to let me go through a little pressure now, a little pain now, a little suffering now, if, it will work for my eternal benefit and my eternal good. Because he's interested, more interested in my eternal good than he is my temporary ease or comfort. And that's where the rub comes in. He's always working with eternity in view and I'm always thinking with, I hurt. I don't like this. I'm not comfortable with this. And I'm always trying to escape or evade that work of God whereby He is working out an eternal plan in my life. And so I come into the sanctuary of God and there I get a totally different and new perspective because I see things now from the divine perspective. From the eternal perspective. So as the psalmist came into the sanctuary of God... He said, then I understood the eternal, their end. Rather now than being envious of the wicked, he begins to feel sorry for them. Surely you have set them in slippery places. I thought my foot was almost gone, but they're the ones that are in slippery places. At any moment, their foot can slip and they will be cast into eternity without God and terror will grip their hearts and their lives. 
I mean, they're just a moment, they're just a breath away from eternity without God. What a horrible place to be without any hope for the eternal. And when they come to face death in that moment when death is there and they're facing it, their hearts, he said, are filled with terror because God will bring them into destruction in a moment and they will be utterly consumed with terror. And thus he said, my heart was grieved. I began to feel so convicted about the the feelings that I was having. I was so wrong. The sanctuary of God corrected my perspective once more. I began to see things from the eternal perspective. I was so foolish, she said. I was so ignorant. I was just like a beast before you. You see, a beast doesn't have any eternal future. And a man who does not know Jesus Christ is like an animal. He's like a beast. The spirit is dead. And thus he's only a two-fold being. You, God has made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. You once lived according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and were like the children of disobedience, living after your own lust, being guided and governed by your lust. But God, who is rich in His love and His grace, wherewith He loved you, has saved you through your faith in Jesus Christ. And through that, you've had a spiritual birth. You've been born again. And with the spiritual birth, you're now a total person, body, soul, and spirit as God intended and as God created man in the beginning. But man without God is like an animal. No wonder the psychologists and all look to the animal kingdom to find a relation. Because they aren't like animals without God, without the Spirit. They're living on animal plane of existence. So you look at a chimp and you say, well, look at the way he acts. And the way, you know, must be related to him. No. Man is not a highly evolved animal. Man has fallen from the image of God. The missing link isn't between you and a chimp. It's between you and God. And Jesus provided that missing link once again in order that you through Jesus Christ can once again be one with God, be brought into fellowship with God. And where God then through the Spirit can conform you back into the image from which Man fell when he sinned. So we with open faces beholding the glory of the Lord or unveiled faces are being changed from glory to glory into the same image, His image, by His Spirit that's working in us as God restores what was lost as the result of sin. 
And, and you see, as a Christian, you can see it so clearly. Because your spirit's alive and, and you're aware of God and you're conscious of God. And, and you look at the people in the world and you think, why can't you see it? It's so plain, it's so obvious. But it's because their spirit is dead. So the Bible says that the natural man does not understand the things of the spirit, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he which is spiritual understands all things, though he is not understood. And that's why your friends say, you're weird, I don't understand you, man. It's because you've come into a whole new level of existence, into the spiritual level. And as we come into the sanctuary of God and we come into fellowship with God and our spirits join in fellowship with Him as we are here and as we are worshiping and as our minds are focused upon Him and His Spirit continues that work in us of drawing us close and conforming us into His image. And we're blessed and and we get that eternal perspective. And and that's why we have this place. And that's what we're dedicating this place for. That people can come and they can discover the eternal God. And they can get the perspective of life corrected. And they can see life in the eternal perspective instead of just this day-by-day, dog-eat-dog kind of existence that's in the world out there that's willing to rip up anything and everything and destroy everything that it touches. And we can come in and we can be edified and we can grow in our love and in our relationship with God and in our love and relationship with each other. That's what it's about. About. And that's what this building is about. And that's why we, we have built it. And that's why to the intent and purpose we're dedicating it tonight. A place where people can come and get the eternal perspective. Get their focus again corrected as they focus upon God. He began... <laughs> To see all that he had. He said, I'm continually with you. Oh, I have it so good. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm continually with you. You hold me by the right hand. I love that. You hold me by the right hand. It doesn't say I hold on to your right hand. You hold me by the right hand. Big difference. I have a lot of grandkids. And when we're walking across the parking lot to Toys R Us, <laughs> as we get to the traffic lane, I say, let Grandpa have your hand. I want to hold your hand. I don't say, hold on to Grandpa's hand. Let Grandpa hold your hand. You see, if a car should come quickly around the corner there near Mervyn's and where we are, Toys R Us is right next door. And if, if there should arise a danger where I needed to get them out of the path of the car, I don't want them holding on to my hand because I might seek to move them quickly and they would lose their grip. So I hold their hand. So in case danger does arise, I know that my strength, I can lift them out of the way. 
God doesn't say, hold my hand, son. He says, let me hold your hand. Oh, how glorious. He doesn't trust you to yourself. But he trusts his power. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Truly you hold me by the right hand. And you will guide me with your counsel. One of the names of Jesus was Wonderful Counselor. And it's so wonderful to know that when we come here, we can receive counsel from the Word of God. You will guide me with your counsel. And as we turn to the Word and as the Word is being taught... God is counseling us and giving us directions and, and showing us His ways and what is the right path and how comforting it is and how strengthening it is to know that God is guiding my life. And all of the confused things out there. It's so good to commit my ways unto the Lord and know that when I acknowledge Him in all of my ways, He will direct my path. And I have that kind of confidence that God is directing my path. And I ask Him each day to do that. And I say, Lord, if I start down a project that you don't want, close the door, Lord. I'm not going to knock it open. Just close the door. You guide me with your counsel. Then all this in heaven too. Afterward, you're going to receive me into glory. God's with me, holding me by the hand, guiding me with His counsel. And then when it's all over, He's going to receive me into glory. Oh, Lord, this is wonderful. I love you, Lord. Who have I on earth beside Thee? And there's none in heaven I desire beside Thee, O Lord. And though my heart and my flesh faileth. And this is... This is where I said he probably had a heart attack and was in bed. My heart and my flesh fail. Yet God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For those that are far from thee shall perish. You've destroyed those and will destroy those that go a-whoring away from you. But it's good for me to draw near to God. God said, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. That's what this is all about. A place for you to come and draw near to God. To get the eternal perspective once more. I've put my trust, he said, in Jehovah God that I may declare all his works. And that's the end result. I go out from here then and declare all of his works. I've come, I've gotten the perspective, I've, I've been renewed in the Spirit, new strength, new direction, new perspective, and now I go and declare to a world that's in confusion, a world that is lost, a world that has no direction, I declare to them the wonderful works of God, what they can experience if they will just surrender their lives also to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for 
this place. And for those people who have had such a major part in making this place possible. Each one, Lord, who has had a part in the design and in the labor and in the supplying of the finances that this place might be built. And Lord, it is always so great when the last pane of glass is put in and the final bit of carpet is secured and then the doors are open and your people gather and draw near to you and worship together. Lord, we dedicate this facility to you. We don't claim any ownership of it. No holds upon it, Lord, it's yours. Yours to use as you see fit. Yours to use for your purposes, for your glory. Yours to use as a place for you to meet with your people, to strengthen them, to encourage them, to hold them by the hand. Lord, bless this place. Let there be such an awareness and consciousness of your presence that even when sinners walk into the doors, they will sense awe and reverence in the presence of God. Lord, we know that The heavens of heavens cannot contain you, but we ask that you would dwell in this place. That your people might meet with you and come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray.